Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step closer to Jesus. Wake your life. How's this side of the room doing? Everybody online, give me a thumbs up, give me a heart, share something. Hey, welcome. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor. We're going to continue to experience God together today in the Word in just a second. I uh, always want to celebrate. You know, we had um, uh, 10 decisions for Christ last weekend in our church. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah. And, and where's, uh, he was just sitting in the front a second. Where'd Brian Bell go? Where are you at? Wave your hand if you're in here. You might be outside. There you go. Anybody notice Brian's walking in without a, without a walker? Come on, somebody. Come on. Love, love, love seeing that. Hey, uh, a couple quick things we want to mention to you. Don't forget we are starting three services on Easter Sunday. Uh, the first service will be mask only. The only person touching you will be the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. The old school Pentecost. Uh, so the 8.30 service, if you know somebody that wants that, come out to 8.30. Uh, 10 a.m. and then 11.30 will be the other services. 10 a.m. will be translated into Malayalam as 9 is normally now. And then the uh, 11.30, just like 11 is now right now, will be translated into Spanish. So if you know anybody that speaks Malayalam or Spanish, bring them here. By the way, if you didn't know this, if you know anybody that's uh, maybe Brazilian or from Portugal, uh, we do translate into Portuguese down in the South Shore campus. And so you can always uh, go down there or send them down there and they can uh, uh, receive the word that way. And so that's a special, special thing going on. Uh, a couple other things uh, I want to mention quickly. Uh, one, you see cameras running around here and there right now. We are making our online experience even better. Uh, we do not apologize for that. I know it could be a little distracting some, sometimes. Don't let it be distracting. Uh, that is the future. That is where we're going, so get over it. Uh, we're going to celebrate that. Come on. That, that's, that's the way it's going. Um, so don't let it become distracting. These guys are doing a great job of of uh, doing the best they can not to become distracting. Uh, along with Easter, you will hear us shortly start mentioning, uh, really next week we'll start it and then the week after. Uh, I want you to begin thinking about who you're praying for and going to invite to our Easter services. Here's a sad statistic. 98% of Christians never invite somebody to church in any given year. That's sad. 82% of unbelievers say they would come to church if they were simply invited. Let's break that uh, over this next couple weeks, and let's make sure for Easter this year we invite somebody, get them here. It's really going to be a special moment. And so you'll hear a little bit more uh, about that here shortly. Uh, and then there was one other thing I was supposed to mention real fast. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, this month's spiritual emphasis is stewardship. Uh, we started at the beginning of this year every month emphasizing a different spiritual discipline. This month is stewardship, so it's time and money. And so uh, uh, sometimes people say, well, tithing, when we talk about tithing, they say that's an Old Testament law. Actually, it predates the Old Testament. You see it in Genesis with Melchizedek. It's in the law. You see it in Deuteronomy in the law. It's in the words of Jesus. He referred to it in a positive light and seemed to, seemed to say that was a good thing. And then you see it again in the letters of Paul. So it actually predates the law as in the law and postdates the law in the Gospels and the rest of the narrative. Um, and so it's not under the law. So what is it if it's not a law? We are not under the law anymore. It's a principle. For that record, all of the New Testament disciplines are principles, not laws. You are not required to pray, but it's a good thing to pray. It's a principle. You are not required to fast, but it's a good thing to fast. These are principles, not laws, and giving is one of those principles that are there. And so uh, we encourage you uh, uh, all month to start reoccurring online giving. Uh, that's something Aiden and I do. Uh, every, um, uh, we try to make it, we, we planned it so it's the first thing to come out of our check. We get paid on Thursdays, and actually a lot of times it's Wednesday night when it comes out, but ideally it's Thursday morning. Uh, but the first thing to come out of our check every week is our tithes and offerings, and we want to make sure we keep God first in that way. We encourage you to do the same thing. So uh, if you got information about that, see one of us after the service, and we'll get information to you. All right, let's talk for a second about escape rooms. Has anybody been to an escape room? Yes. How many of you... I've never been to an escape room. Okay, all right, y'all need to go to an escape room. All right, so let me just be honest with you. I don't like escape rooms because I don't like puzzles, and I am also a little claustrophobic. And so you put me in a puzzle that I can't get out of with, with you know, I'm trapped in this room. I'm like, this is not my thing. Like, I'm not into that. I did go to one one time. It was fun to watch because people's personalities and their gifts really come out in escape rooms. 
And so we went with our staff one time because uh, they said, if you do it, it's a great leadership tool that you can do. And so go to an escape room and you'll find out the personalities and how you fit together and how you can, you know, the leadership structures. All right, all right, okay. let's go to escape room. So this is back when Pastor Kyle Judah was our youth pastor. And it was funny to watch that this guy who's a relatively reserved person, as soon as we walked into the escape room, he just took charge, which was beautiful because I was not interested in taking charge at all. So I sat back and said, tell me what to do. You run with it. He's all about the puzzles, and he's figuring out everything, and he's telling me what to do. We beat it by like 15 minutes, for the record, because our staff rocks. I'm on. Yes. So we got out way early. Um, uh, but that's that idea, right? Because when you're in moments like that, you kind of find out what's really in you, right? What, what gifts are really in you? In fact, I could say it a little bit deeper and say hard times, when you walk through a hard time, will always end up revealing what you really believe. You can say you believe whatever you want to say. Let hard times come, and you'll find out what you really believe, right? So we were just talking about giving. That's a prime example. You know, I believe in tithing, but let my finances go through a struggling time, and you'll see if I really believe in tithing at that point. It's one thing to tithe when you you have money. Um, But you see that. What you really believe, uh, once it goes through the crucible of life, ends up revealing if it's true to you or not. And oftentimes, we are people who are not successful in those moments. Unfortunately, we have a lot of followers of Jesus and not a lot of disciples of Jesus. Amen. That's why we're having these spiritual emphases, spiritual emphases every month. That's a hard <laughs> word to say. Having these spiritual emphases every, every month because we're not wanting to create followers of Jesus. We're wanting disciples of yes. Jesus. Followers watch from a distance. They give a high five. They, they like what Jesus says. They, they kind of like the benefits of following Jesus. Disciples are the ones that are willing to pay the, cro- the, po- the, the cost to actually be like Jesus. Yeah. They're the ones saying, I want to talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus, be Jesus in my cubicle, be Jesus in my workplace. I want to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. I want to speak words over people that were the words Jesus would speak. I want to walk in supernatural power that Jesus told me I should have. There's a big difference between followers and disciples. And when you walk through hard times, you quickly start to find out what you really believe, who you really are. And in those moments, you'll either step forward or step back. You got fight or flight, right? You'll step into it or you'll step back. So when you walk through an escape room, uh, at least this has been my experience, and 9 o'clock service agreed with me, so you can tell me if I'm wrong. But it seems like there's oftentimes one clue that when you find that clue starts a domino effect that makes it easier to find all the others. Are you with me? Anybody? You've had that experience? Okay. And so you find this one clue, it might be harder to find or harder to do, but once you get that one, they get a little easier after that, right? What if the escape rooms of life that you find yourself in had the same kind of clue? So, so, so for instance, you find yourself in these rooms sometimes that, that like, I worked really hard in life, and, and now all of a sudden I'm broke, and I've lost my job in 2020, and I don't know what to do, and I feel trapped in this room. Right? I go to the doctor, I get a bad doctor's report, and I feel trapped in this area of my life, and I don't know how to get out. Uh, I'm dealing with something in my marriage, and I feel trapped in this marriage right now, and I don't know how to get out of this marriage. So, so when you find yourself in that kind of place, what if, because if you haven't found yourself, just keep living for a while. You will. Life has a way of doing that to us, because I think God's interested in finding out what's in us. And maybe not he's as interested as he needs to reveal to us what's in us, what we really believe. And so in those moments, what if there were one key that starts a domino effect that leads you out of the escape room, so to speak? What if there was? Would you want to know it? Okay. I'm glad four of you do. For the four of you that want to know it (laughs) and the five of you online, um, let's, let's talk about it for a minute. Acts chapter 12. Go ahead and go there if you want to. This is an amazing story of an escape room in the Bible. Uh, with the Apostle Peter. Now, Acts chapter 12, the book of Acts is written by a man by the name of Luke. He's actually a doctor. He's oftentimes referred to as a physician. And so Dr. Luke takes it upon himself to write an account of the life of Jesus, a biography of Jesus. We call that the book of? We call that the book of? Luke. The biography of Jesus was the book of Luke. And then he wrote a sequel to the book of Luke. All right, theologians. He wrote a sequel to the book of Luke. Called the book of Acts. Okay, okay. I'm just helping you out, helping you out. So he wrote this biography of Jesus, and then he keeps going with it in a sequel. The book of Acts is really called the Acts of the Apostles. That's the really proper name for it, because it's really just the story of the early church that, that he is revealing. And as he's been writing the Acts of the Apostles, 
for the most part, leading up into Acts chapter 12, the church is kicking butt and taking names. Like good things are happening. God has ascended or Jesus has ascended into heaven and all of a sudden the upper room happens and comes out and 3,000 get saved and then in a minute 5,000 get saved and Peter's preaching to all these crowds. Miraculous things are happening. And for the most part, you're seeing some incredible things. In fact, just before Acts chapter 12, this, pers- this church persecutor by the name of Saul gets radically saved and, and actually becomes a proponent of the church instead of a persecutor of the church. So he gets radically saved. This Gentile, and they didn't even know what to do with this, this Gentile named Cornelius, this Roman soldier, he gets saved. And so all these good things are happening back to back to back to back. It's like this glory days of the church, like good things are happening, right? And then Acts chapter 12 happens, and the first difficult season, significantly difficult season at least, of the church begins to arise on them. Let's read, uh, we're going to read through verses 21, but we're going to stop along the way and make points, okay? Verse 1 through 4. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Uh, James is not the writer of the epistle, James. That would be the brother of Jesus. This is James, the disciple, James, not James, uh, the apostle, who is the brother of Jesus. So a different James there. And put to death by the sword is generally believed to mean he was beheaded. That's not the happiest way to die. Uh, verse 3, when he saw that this met the, with the approval of the Jews, this is the, the leading council of the religious Jews, uh, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. If you do the math, that's 16 soldiers. That's a lot of people to guard one guy. He must be a real tyrant. And so Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover, now that you got the crowd. And so let's, let's just stop for a second and talk about this. Point number one, if you're taking notes, and by the way, we'll go quickly through the first few, or I'm sorry, long ways through the first few and then quickly in the last few at the end. But number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Politics led to persecution. Politics led to persecution. Let me just quickly take you on a history trip. Rome was this incredible empire that would constantly expand their borders. And as they expanded their borders, they would have precepts or governors. Sometimes they would be referred to as kings that would go and they would oversee that area. Sometimes they would allow that area to still practice their culture, practice their religion, as long as they fulfilled and and was underneath the laws of Rome. So that made these precepts, these leaders, extremely important to Rome. And Rome was always a little unsettled that, that you could rip one out and put another one in at any time. It wasn't like uh, a democracy where they're voting on these people. And so you have this precept, this, this leader of this province of Israel that Rome has taken over, who is now going to be friendly to the Jews when it's good for him and friendly to the Romans when it's good for him. He is not particularly religious at all, but he is very much a politician and very concerned about his ratings. That's what we would call it nowadays, at least. And so he's always worried about what makes them happy and makes me look good. If there's a revolt, if there's something and the, and the Jewish people have a revolt, that makes me look bad. Rome could snatch me up and take me out of this position. I need to stay in this position at all costs. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I can to appease, to appease uh, the Romans. And so... Uh, You see this right here with Herod. That's what's going on. Herod sees that the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, don't like these early Christians. And so he has James uh, brought in and killed. It's like a litmus test. I'm going to see how people like this, right? I'm going to take a straw poll of the audience and see how they like it when I kill James. So they bring in James and have him killed. And the religious leaders love it. Right, because they're already trying to, to stop the, this early Christian movement. So the religious leaders love it, and his ratings skyrocket. And all of a sudden, he's like, yes, I have figured out a key. We can suddenly now begin to shut this thing down, keep the Jews happy with me, and keep moving forward. Uh, they love me. Rome loves me. Everything is great. This is key because I want you to see this. Peter is not arrested because of his preaching. Herod could care less about his preaching. The persecution is not coming because of his preaching. The persecution is coming because it makes him popular with the Jewish leaders. Saul's persecution and the the Jewish leaders' persecution of Peter, that was because of his preaching. Herod doesn't care what he preaches. Herod cares what makes him successful and gets him higher ratings. That's important to see, especially in the day that we live in right now. It's It's not the message. He's just trying to appease to the highest masses. And so he does this. With, uh, with, with Peter and, and or I'm sorry, with James, and it works. And he's like, all right, 
This seems to work really well. I'm going to really get these Jewish leaders on my side. Let's get out the big dogs, the big fish, the head honchos. Who is like a big dog in the early church? And all of them are like, well, this guy Peter would stand up and preach, and all these people would come to Christ, and all these people would start his, this following. And so they said, they said Peter would be a big dog. Like, you just kind of put yourself in the story a little bit. And so Herod then brings in Peter, the head honcho the leader of the church, so to speak, the one that Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. They bring in Peter, and now Peter is sitting in jail, awaiting a mock trial, just so that now he can be you know, brought out in front of everybody, so everybody can see it, so that Peter can be killed, right? And so that's where we're at in the story. And I want to say that political opposition to God's plan is often part of God's plan. Read your Bibles, folks. Uh, you could kind of pick your, pick your dictator, whether it be Pharaoh or Jezebel or Nero later on or Herod in this story or, or literally just tons and tons of others that you see over and over and over. You can almost pick your, 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 your dictator that God will actually use persecution for his glory in the church or in the Old Testament with his people. So you see Pharaoh rise to power, and that's where the Jewish family, where the, where the Abrahamic family, the Hebrews, where they go from just a small family into a multitude, and then he proves using Pharaoh that he is the all-powerful God as he leads them out of bondage and proves who he is through this political dictator. Are you with me? That's commonly God's practice. So don't freak out every time we talk about political opposition coming to the church. Some people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's happening. First of all, it should be surprising when it's not happening. That's always been the story of the church, time after time after time again. So it should be a little surprising when it's not happening. Secondly, we were created for moments like this, and you will see God's glory during moments where the church is persecuted on levels you've never seen it before. Right. And you're like, the persecution, we're not there yet, we're not there, but we're going that direction. Um, and God often uses the persecution to purify the church, and the purified church becomes a powerful church. You find out real fast, because under pressure, what do you really believe? And the ones who don't believe will fall off to the wayside. It's like scattering seed, as Jesus would say. The ones who believe will rise up, and even though they might be fewer in number, they will be greater in power than the ones with numbers. Are y'all with me? And so we're, we're seeing this played out in our time right now. So don't be shocked whenever persecution comes. We should be inviting it, not because we love persecution, but because we know God has a plan, even in the midst of the persecution. And so um, we don't need to fear it. We need to step into it. So, 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 so the big question here is, how does the church respond as persecution comes? How does the Acts 12 church respond at this point? You know, the, the thousands around the world at that point that had already started gathering. When I say around the world, it hadn't gone globally, but it definitely outside of Jerusalem. And all these thousands that have accepted Christ and are following him now and are becoming disciples of Christ, how do they respond to persecution? Did they pick it? Did they riot? Did they try to assassinate Herod? How are they going to respond to persecution? It's interesting because, because uh, Herod seems to th expect the church to try to break Peter out. Uh, in fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 5, there's a similar story and God just kind of opens up the jail cells and Peter just walks out. And Herod's probably still going around going, I don't know how that happened. I'm not sure what that was. But we got to make sure that doesn't happen again. That's why I'm sending four squads of soldiers, 16 people, to guard this one person. That should say something all by itself. Right. He fears the church. Come on, y'all. Yeah. You know? And so, so he seems to think the church is going to break Peter out of prison. But what happens instead is that the church breaks out in prayer. Yeah. Come on, y'all. The very next verse, the most powerful verse in this context of the story, verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. Bum, bum, bum. But, you know that word but is powerful right there. Yep. <laughs> if you didn't have that next line in the sentence, this would be this is just depressing. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. This is where we want to camp for a few minutes. Most of the time when we tell this story, we focus all about Peter and the miraculous escape. But what we don't see is what led to Peter's miraculous escape. We need to talk about that for a second. If you're taking notes, number two, per persecution led to earnest prayers. Persecution led to earnest prayers. So you see that this church 
started praying. <coughs> Excuse me. So let me paint this picture with you. During this series especially, I'm trying to show you the other sides of stories and what we may neglect to see because we're not putting ourselves in the context of the story. Put yourself in the story. James, the disciple, has just been killed. Don't overlook that. If you look at the people who were killed before that, yes, Stephen was martyred, but Stephen was not one of the 12 disciples. Stephen was not one of the elect that were with Jesus. Stephen was just a follower of Jesus that came afterwards or at some other point. But, but, but James was one of the 12. And if there is a, an illusion in their minds at that period that says, yeah, you might be able to kill this one or that one, but you can't touch the 12. Those are God's anointed. Those are the ones that God left for us to train us, to teach us. And there's only 12 of them, really 11, and you added one after Judas. But, but there's only a few of them, no matter how you cut it. And now James, the disciple, has been killed. Think about that for a second. Now, James has been killed, and I kind of thought James couldn't really be killed. He's James. He's a disciple. He walked with Jesus. Yeah, you might be able to kill some of the others. But James is a man who's walking in faith and miraculous power and walking in supernatural ability. You can't kill James, but he just got killed. Huh. And then on top of that, you arrest Peter. Peter the leader of the church, the one who stands up on Pentecost, the one that Jesus himself said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Peter gets arrested and is assuredly about to be killed. Put yourself in the church's situation here. <laughs> oh my goodness. What's going on? You, I thought you couldn't touch a disciple. I mean, the last time Peter was arrested in Acts 5, he just walked out of the prison. It was easy. I thought you couldn't really touch God's anointed. But James just died. And now Peter's being kept in prison behind 16 soldiers and multiple doors. What, what God, what, what's going on here? You, you, you can't, God, God you, you can't do this. What, what's going on? Can, can you put yourself in the position of the church? These people have built their lives. They have left everything. When you follow Jesus in those early times, you left the synagogue, which means you were probably kicked out of your family, kicked out of every religious Jewish tradition that you would have. Now you can't go to those things. You can't go to your sister's birthday party and your nephew's birthday party any longer. You are excommunicated from the family, which was okay because you inherited a new family, the Christian family. But what happens when the Christian family's leader is about to die? And I'm not even sure this thing's going to last. You find out what you're made of. <laughs> Your back is up against the wall, and you find out real quickly, what do I really believe? This is all about to fall apart in front of me. What, what, do, I, what do I really believe? I mean, it's one thing when Stephen was killed, but God, we need Peter. <laughs> Peter was there. P -p -p Peter tells us the stories. Peter trains us. Remember your tell? We, we built our life on this thing. We, we built it up. We, we had it going. The church was moving and shaking and good things were happening. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, because of Herod, James gets killed. And then all of a sudden, they're about to kill Peter too. And everything that you have built feels like it's collapsing all around you. What do you do then? What do you do then? What do you do then? And I just want to preach to you for a second. I want you to hear me. Because last week I told you that you rebuild on what's been broken, and that's very true. But I want to add another layer to that this week and say that they rebuilt, they built their tell through prayer. Amen. When all is taken away from you, when you feel like you can't get up in the morning and you feel like it's dark when you get up and dark when you go to bed and no light is shining upon your life any longer, when it all fails, pray. 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 And they started rebuilding off of prayer once their backs were against the wall and they had no other option, they started calling out to God. This is so, so, so key. This is a pivotal moment in the church. How will they respond? Peter is not there to tell them what to do. How will they respond? And they respond through prayer. <laughs> but, but, but not just prayer. Like, like, I'm not one that ever really ever talks about Greek words and stuff. I'm not that smart. I do everything I can in college to stay away from that. But the word earnest 
that's used right here, that this was this earnest, serious prayer, is the Greek word of ektanos. And I say that because it literally, it's, it's a medical type word that Luke the doctor is using that literally means to stretch your muscles and to stretch your organs. They are stretching in prayer. You ever like stretch something, you can feel it all stretching through you? It's the same word that's used for the way Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Wow. Luke used it there too. So I want you to see this. This isn't polite prayers. Right. This isn't churchy prayers. I've heard lots of churchy prayers. I've heard some people that every time they pray, they start praying in King James. You know anybody like that? Like they talk normal, but then they pray and everything becomes thee and thou and holy eth. And they add eth on the, and like, what, who did you just become? You talk normal, but then you pray in King James. Anyway. And so some people have their own prayer language, and it's not from the Holy Spirit. Some people have their own prayer language, and they pray certain ways. Other times we find ourselves in situations where we pray and we use all the right words, right? We use all the churchy Christianese to make sure we cover all of our bases, and it sounds really pretty. I was overhearing a YouTube video of somebody speaking just the other day, kind of a, a YouTube person, and I was just overhearing it, and it was funny to me. I was kind of giggling to myself because I, I promise you in a matter of like two minutes, they used every Christian cliche word they could use to get their point across, you know, manifest and all these words that we use in, in church circles and and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not against it. I'm just saying there's, there's probably a time for that. And we've all had prayers. You don't need to scream out to God today over lunch. You'll scare everybody at Golden Corral. <laughs> you get your food like, God bless this food! I don't know. Maybe you should. It might be cool. I don't know. Right. You, you, yeah, it's probably not the best thing. Don't wear your ride shirt when you do it. Right. <laughs> Or maybe do. I don't know. I'm still confused on this. Like, turn it into a TikTok. We'll watch it and we'll all laugh. Anyway, all right. But, but there's a time where you get these gracious, kind prayers. But then there's another time where you get stretching prayers. Yeah. Anybody know anything about stretching prayers? Yeah. When your back is up against a wall, when you have nothing else to do but cry out to God, because your entire life revolves around Him answering this prayer. And that's what's happening here. This is serious prayer. This is desperate prayer. This is powerful prayer. This is somebody crying out to God, not just as a last resort, but my whole world has gotten tipped upside down and God, I don't know what to do. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Are y'all with me? Have you ever heard people pray like that? Yes. It's scary. I remember walking into a church service one time. They're having a prayer meeting. I'm like, I'm not sure I should go in there. It's like holy ground. Like, I mean, they're screaming and hollering. I'm like, whoo. I remember when I was a kid, my mama used to pray sometimes. And she would pray in the living room. And in order to get to the kitchen, I had to walk past the living room to get there. And she would start calling out to God. And I'm like, I'm just going to go hungry for a little while. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to walk through that to get, it's just not worth it. I'll fast for the moment. I'm like, because I don't know what exactly is happening in there. But she is crying out to God. You, you with me? Ada does that. There's moments I can't go to my bedroom. Because I'm just like, I'll just stay and watch Netflix a little bit longer. She did it last night a little bit. I'm just, gonna, I'm just telling her for a second. She's having a, a rough moment, and she's at the dishes, and she starts singing I Exalt Thee. But she's not singing I Exalt Thee. She's going, I Exalt Thee. Sometimes you got to tell your own soul to worship. I hear it from the bedroom, and I'm like, I'm going to wait till that's over before I walk in there. <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> but we've all been around this, and there's a difference between those churchy prayers or those political prayers or the ones that sound really nice that probably have their place. There's a difference between those and the moment that you are crying out to God, desperately in need of his salvation in your life, desperately in need of fixing this thing, desperately in need of him to show up. There's a difference. And that's where they were in this moment. They're crying out to God. So much so, I know we haven't gotten there yet, but so much so that, that, that even when Peter finally comes out and it's very late at night, maybe 1, 2 a.m., something like that, it's very late at night, they are still praying. They're still crying out to God. And I know we haven't gotten there yet. I don't want you to see that. See, I, I just think we need to reexamine the way we look at prayer. Prayer is not a last resort. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer is the ability to bring heaven to earth. 
<coughs> and there are some escape rooms that you cannot escape by yourself. You need another party to help you escape this room. There are some things in life that you might get through by yourself. But it is so much easier when you call out to heaven and say, heaven, you step into my world and help me walk this out. And that's what prayer does. Prayer starts to open up these new doors. Prayer starts to open up prison doors. <laughs> listen, listen, if you have somebody who is truly, powerfully, incredibly praying for you, it is more powerful than jail cells. Yeah. It is more powerful than diseases. Yes. It is more powerful than your misbehaving child. Yeah. It is more powerful than anything that stands in your way. Amen. When you get those earnest those serious prayers, they're powerful, they're awesome, and we need those kind of prayers in the church if we're going to see the supernatural yes, in amen. the church. And I love this because this group is not big, probably. They're meeting in a house. Houses weren't even that very large at the time. You didn't have big meeting rooms in a house at that time period. And I don't know, but in the theater of my mind, the way, I, the way I see this as it starts to play out, there's 16 guards and there's a small church meeting in the house. I just like to assume there's 16. The Bible doesn't say that. Don't take it out of context. Don't, don't take it as, as word. But, but I like to assume it's 16. And it's like God's team versus Herod's team. God's people praying versus the greatest empire the world had ever known. God's People crying out to God versus 16 guards in the middle of a jail cell. Let's see who can win this struggle. Are you with me? Yes, yeah. amen. Point number three, prayer led to God's power. Everything in the story from this point forward is supernatural, is miraculous, is incredible. But don't miss the fact it started with prayer. <laughs> it started with saints who are crying out, earnestly and desperately for God. It started not, not just with a churchy prayer, but these powerful, powerful, awesome prayers. And everything from that point on shows that. And so you get this showdown between the power of Rome and the power of a play, praying church. It's a showdown between Herod's jail and the church's prayer, between Herod's intentions and God's plan. And so they are out of their ability. They are beyond what they can handle, and they start calling out to God. Pastor John Piper calls prayer spiritual walkie-talkies. I like that. I like that. Spiritual walkie-talkies. That in a moment, that, like a moment like this, you are surrounded and you start to pray. You ever watch those like uh, old war movies or Vietnam war movies or I guess any war movie could do this? And, and they find themselves in a bad place, so they pick up that mic and they call in an airstrike. And all of a sudden, from nowhere, comes a drone, comes a plane, and all of a sudden, drop bomb, boom, boom, boom. And the enemy starts scattering, not because those soldiers did anything, but because they knew who to call when they found themselves in trouble. Come on. You ever seen the same kind of movies when all of a sudden the walkie-talkie doesn't work? Yeah. Listen, when you cry out to God, you are inviting heavenly airstrikes to start coming in. And what you can't do, what you can't fathom, what is beyond your strength, God takes it to the next level. And he destroys your enemy for you. There are some things that you can do, but there are some things that you can only do through the power of prayer. You need his strength in your life. Come on, y'all with me. All right, let's read verse 6. Let's keep going. I could talk all day. Verse 6. The night before Herod was, being, was to bring him to trial, Peter was pacing the floor, biting his fingernails, full of anxiety and stress, crying out to God, losing his mind, negotiating with the guard of how much money he would give him if he let him be released. <laughs> Is that what it says? No. Y'all got to pay attention because I could preach anything and you got to pay attention. <laughs> I could be a heretic up here. That's not what it says at all, right? It says Peter was... Everybody online, let me hear you. Peter was sleeping. <laughs> Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood at the guard at the entrance. Sleeping. I can't sleep if I think about the TV show I was watching too much. Anybody watch Lost back in the day? I'm still lost. I still lose sleep over trying to figure out what this stuff. Why is there a polar bear on the island? Ten years later, I'm still lost. 
If I know I got to get up early in the morning, I can't sleep. And that's the moment I need to sleep the most. And I'm like, I got to go to sleep. I got to go to sleep. I can't. I can't sleep for the dumbest reasons in the world. Meanwhile, Peter is about to stand trial, recognizing he is about to die from his vantage point. And where do you find Peter? Snoring away in between two guards. In fact, we'll get there in a second. He is so tired that it's funny the way the angel even wakes him up. And he's so tired that he seems so groggy, he doesn't even realize what's going on until he's already out of the prison. You ever wake up and you're like, what's going on? I mean, he is out of it. <laughs> he's passed out, man. He's sleeping. He's sleeping between two guards, between a rock and a hard place. He, he, he's sleeping between these two guards. How in the world does Peter sleep? You see this several times in the accounts of the prisons. Paul at midnight and Barnabas are singing hymns. Paul sings, Peter sleeps. I freak out. Come on. Are we real? Come on. How, how, is it, how, how is it that that works? quite like that. I think this is your fourth, fourth point if I'm on the right number. God's power led to peace. Huh. How in the world can Peter have peace in the midst of, in his viewpoint, assuredly dying tomorrow? And it's not the most nice way to die. Not that there's a better one than others, but you're going to get your head chopped off if you're like James. I would have other ways. I'd prefer, I don't know, maybe not. That might be kind of, I don't know. God's power led to peace. What did Peter know that we don't know? All right, all right, we're about to go deep for just a second. I'm about to separate those who want to follow Christ from a distance from those who want to walk in his footsteps. Come on, PB. Are y'all with me? Yes. Stay with me, okay? What is the difference? What is the difference? How does he have peace? Well, the book of Philippians actually tells us how he had peace. We don't always want to live it out, but it tells us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. We love to quote verse 7 without reading verse 6, which gives the context. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. So like when you're thrown in prison and about to die. But in every situation, by what? Prayer. By what? Prayer. Prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God. That's the part we love to quote. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What started with prayer led to peace. Prayer has this ability to guard your heart with peace. Yeah. Listen, Peter was guarded by soldiers, but his heart was guarded by God. Wow. How, how, how is he sleeping during this time knowing that he's almost assuredly going to die? It's because he's in this place of trusting God. So, all right, let's just back up. Let's, let's make this make some sense for a second. We're going to get deep. Deep not in like some Greek Hebrew way, but deep in like how much do you really want to follow Jesus? Come on, come on. Pull your toes in. Pull your toes in. The reason why we fear death so much is because we love life more than we love eternity. Think about it. All of life is not bad. All of life is not bad. Uh, we love this world. All of the world is not bad. There are things that you love and you say, I don't want to die because I want to see my kids grow up or my grandkids grow up or whatever. It, those are not bad things. Those are not bad things. I'm telling you, this is not for everybody. This is for those who can really walk in Jesus' footsteps. But when it comes to push come to shove and you find out what you really believe, if you love the world more than you love the Lord, you will always choose the world over the Lord. But when you love the Lord more than you love the world, you cannot be threatened with heaven. Let that sink in. You, you, Herod, you going to kill me? Bring it on, bro. I've been waiting to get back to Jesus ever since he ascended. It's not that I don't love the people in this world. It doesn't mean I don't love my church. Put yourself in Peter's perspective. It's not that I don't love these people that God's called me to lead and be around, but I love Jesus more. Amen. And you cannot threaten me with heaven. Right. Are you with me? I know that's deep. I know we're not all there, but that's one of those differences. How close are we walking to the Lord? I know we might miss some people, but this is why Jesus said you will hate your mother and father. Not literally hate them, but you will love me to such a regard that it is not even adequate to them. Yeah. 
Are you with me? Yeah. And that's why every one of the disciples, except for John, who ends up on the Isle of Patmos, they try to kill, but every one of them was martyred, and you don't see any of them kicking and screaming as they went. None of them were begging for their life. Every one of them were saying, bring it on. Now, we're not there in America. Are you with me? We're not there in America. But we need to be at a place where we're getting there. All right. All right. We'll, we'll take a step back. You can breathe now. Okay. Okay. You can't threaten me with heaven. You can't threaten me with heaven. All right. Let's keep reading. Verse 17 and 18. And then we'll keep 7 through 18 and stopping a few times. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I love that. The angel kicked Peter's butt. Okay, I'm just saying it that way. That's my perspective. He like kicks him or nudges whatever. He like literally had to strike him. That's how asleep Peter was. That's how much peace you can have in Christ even yes. when you're walking through hard times when you're that close to him. I'm just saying. I love it. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Again, I don't want to pause too many times, but, but I love this. Because the chains fell off of his wrists after he got up. Oftentimes, you have to be obedient before you see the miraculous happen. Somebody's like, when's God going to bless my finances? When are you going to tithe? I'm just saying, that's our, that's our discipline of the month. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. This is also comical to me. Because if you're rescuing me out of prison in the middle of the night with 16 guards, I'm like, I'll walk out of my underwear. I'm good. Like... It's late, nobody's looking, whatever. Like, I don't want to take the time to put on my clothes. Like, aren't we in a little bit of a hurry, angel? Right? That's, again, this is just me being me. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. That's what happens when you pray, by the way. God opens things that you can't open. He finds the door to the escape room that you can't find. <laughs> it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, uh, suddenly the angel left him. I love this. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. He finally goes, wait a minute, this isn't a dream. That's how, I love that, that's how asleep Peter was that he walks several streets, blocks, whatever, out of the prison, out of everything before he goes, oh, this is really happening. He's in that daze, man, he just woke up, it's, I love it. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. That's the prayer house that's going on. Peter knocked on the outside entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door, <laughs> leaving Peter at the door. I love this. And it, I, I, I'll just be honest, I feel kind of bad for Rhoda. Like, you know... Like, like, she probably did all kinds of great things. Like, you know, she was probably this wonderful girl that grew up and was a godly woman and a deaconess in the church or something. And, you know, she probably was amazing. She probably washed the dishes of Jesus. Or, I don't know. But, but all we know about Rhoda is that she left Peter at the door. <laughs> like, if I were Rhoda, I'd be like, Luke, Luke, you, you can't share anything else about me right? <laughs> other than I left. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate that. So 2,000 years later, the church in Brandon is going to be laughing at me. I appreciate that, Luke. <laughs> Anyway, but he's a doctor. Doctor doesn't really want to do it. Okay. So, opening it, uh, where, where did I stop at? Uh, da, da, da. Uh, when she, uh, verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. They thought he was already dead. But Peter kept on knocking. That, that's what happens. They keep on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. <laughs> Why? Me too. Be quiet, guys. Like, we're all going to get killed again, right? This is wisdom. <laughs> like, Herod might hear about this really quickly. And describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. Tell James and the other. Somebody say, tell James. Tell James. Tell, what, what James is this? James just got killed. James, the brother of Jesus. He's now leading the church of Jerusalem. That's the way it would be at that time period where the, the brother of the man who was killed would start leading. Jesus was killed. James has now risen up to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So tell James, tell James 
and the other brothers and sisters about this. Tell James, tell James, tell James. When you build your tell, then you have something to tell. When you rebuild, you start having a tell to tell somebody. You have a testimony to start sharing with everybody else to encourage them of how you walked out of your prison. And then it becomes a prophetic declaration to them that they can walk out of their prison. Your tell is not about your tell. Your tell is about who you tell so that they can walk out of the same thing that you walked out of. How about that? Your tell leads to a testimony. And your testimony is always a prophecy to somebody else that they can walk out of the same things. Are y'all with me? Yes. Y'all with me? So good, so good. Where, where did I stop at? So, so tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion about the soldiers, among the soldiers as to what had come, become of Peter. Like, put yourself in this story. Like, you know these soldiers, like, you know we're going to kill for this, right? You did this. Like, did you, like, he was, like, he was between two soldiers, y'all. Like, I picture, like, I know this, I'm, I'm, I'm jacked up, I know. But, like, I picture, like, in the movie or something, like, he's sleeping between two soldiers, one of them rolls over and goes, <laughs> there used to be a body here, now there's not. Hey, wake up, what, uh, and they're looking at each other dumbfounded, what exactly just happened here, right? Anyway, this just has nothing to do with anything, I just love it. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. If you feel sorry for the guards, I just assume they probably weren't very nice to Peter in the first place. I don't feel that sorry for him. A little bit, but... All right, let's go to the whatever next point we're on right now. God's power created unexpected provision. <coughs> These last couple points, let's make them real quick. God's power created unexpected provision. Almost every time I've heard this message preached or taught, it's always about the lack of faith of this group that they didn't recognize Peter was coming. I personally don't believe that. I like to read the Bible as if I hadn't read it before, as if I didn't have the knowledge of what somebody else already told me to believe about it, and I'm reading it for myself. And I just don't see that, because this is a group that's earnestly praying, that's crying out to God, that's full of faith, doing an all-night prayer reading. I don't believe that they did not believe uh, that, that, you know, that they didn't believe, um, that they didn't have that kind of faith. What I do believe, and makes a lot more sense to me, is that it happened in such an unexpected way that it was shocking to them, and they didn't believe that. So what do you mean? Put yourself in the church's shoes. You're praying for Peter, who's being arrested. How are you going to pray? Jesus, give him really good legal counsel. Jesus, God, give him favor with the judge. Come on, just be real. Isn't that how we pray? It's not wrong. It's not wrong at all. God, give him favor with the judge. God, let the cross-examining judge of the state be hungover and just completely <laughs> wasted when he comes into the courtroom and lost. Right? God, you know, what, what, isn't that the way we pray? It's not wrong. That's just that's human nature. That's the way we pray. So what happens when you are praying this way and God answers this way to such a degree that you don't even recognize God's answer because you were praying for this? God answered the prayer, but he answered it completely radically different than you were praying. That's what I think happened. That's just my opinion, but that's what I think happens in the story. All of a sudden, Peter's knocking on the door, and they're going, but, but God, you're supposed to answer my prayer to give him favor and release him tomorrow. And he's knocking on the door. What, hold on, what, what? Can you handle it when what's knocking on your door is the answer to prayer that you didn't expect? Wow. <laughs> what's knocking on your door that you say, I can't believe it? I, I don't know. And so you end up not letting it in. Are y'all with me? Yeah. All of a sudden, you had this job, and your career was going great, and all of a sudden, it all gets knocked down. And you're crying out to God, God, give me another job. Open that door back up. Allow the opportunity for me to step back into that job. Meanwhile, God's going, I got a whole other career over here. I want you to start this business over here. But you're not seeing that because you're so caught up in the prayer for this. God has a tendency to do that because he will redirect you. All of a sudden, you're crying out to God that God would heal your child and God would restore them back to you and they're acting the fool and they're doing all this. And all of a sudden, God is sending them different nuggets that you don't see happening. You know a powerful thing in this story is that the prayer warriors don't see the prison cell and the prison cell doesn't see the prayer warriors? It's like a split screen. Can you keep praying when you don't know that God's answering? He didn't answer with James. Can you keep praying even? That, that's what faith does. I prayed for James, and he was killed. I got to keep praying for Peter. Yeah. 
Can you keep praying for Peter even after it didn't work for James? And so this group is calling out to God, not realizing that at the exact same moment they're calling out to God, God is waking up Peter, grabbing him by, get your clothes on, and taking him outside, and leading him outside. They don't see that. How many times have you prayed for something? Have we been crying out to God? And God is working behind the scenes that you cannot see. That's what faith is does. It keeps crying out to God, even when we don't see the answer, even when the miraculous is not happening. It keeps crying out to God earnestly, passionately, either way, and believing that on the other split screen, on the other side, something's going on. Are y'all with me? I'm almost done. I'm sorry. We got to be people that can allow God to answer our prayers in the way we don't expect. I'm reminded of this old church story, the classic I heard when I was a kid. So this man was in the middle of a flood, and so he cries out to God. He's trapped in his house in the flood, and he cries out to God. And he says, God, i got to get out of this flood. Rescue me. And pretty soon, a, a four-by-four truck comes by the front, and he says, hey, jump in my truck. we got some other people here, too. Jump in my truck. I'll take you to safety. And he says, no, no, no. I'm praying to God. God's going to deliver me. Yeah. Dude's like, okay. Keeps going. The flood gets higher and higher, and pretty soon he ends up on this roof, and the flood has gotten, you know, 10, 12 feet high at this point. And a boat comes by with some other people that they're rescuing and says, hey, we're here to rescue you. Jump in the boat and I'll save you. I'll take you to safety. And he says, no, no, no. God's going to save me. The guy in the boat's like, okay, keeps going. Pretty soon he ends up on the very pinnacle of his house. Waters are rushing all around him. And he gets on the pinnacle of his house and a helicopter comes and it drops the ladder down. It says, grab a hold of the ladder and we will take you to safety. And he screams up, no, God's going to save me. He dies and goes to heaven. And he gets to heaven and he said, God, why didn't you save me? And God said, I did. I sent you a truck, then I sent you a boat, then I sent you a helicopter. Right? But we do that same thing. We expect God to work in this, this, this and way. Meanwhile, God will deliver us in other ways and we're shocked. And if we're not careful, the answer is knocking on the door. And we don't even see it. All right, I'm sorry. I got to keep going. So what's knocking at your door? Let's keep reading the next Verses. We're going to skip 2 and jump to verse 21. Uh, 21 and 23. And on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. I'll, I'll take the head. I'll take, chop it off my head over that one. And, and I just want to make this point as we're almost done. God's power led to payback. So what are you talking about? God's power is what led to the payback, not yours. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God will deal with the people that has hurt you. He will deal with the people that hurt your family, that has hurt your finances. God will deal with that in his time. It is not your job. Stop making it your job. God will deal with it. Right? All right. Verse 24, the last verse right here that we'll read. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. I love it. The word of God continued to spread and flourish, which leads to that last point. God's power led to prosperity. God's power led to prosperity. This is so good. So good. So in the beginning of Acts 12, Herod is threatening the church. Life is getting really difficult for the church. James is killed. Peter's arrested. It all looks like dooms. By the time you are at the end of chapter 12, Herod's dead, Peter's alive, and the church is flourishing. What's the the difference in there? The church started praying earnestly. Their backs were against the wall. They didn't know what to do. All of a sudden, you find out who you really are in that escape room when you don't know what to do and all the pressure is on you and you find out what you really believe. Praise God the church knew how to pray. Can we be a church that knows how to pray before our backs get put against the wall? Does God have to put us against the wall with no other options before we call out to him? Or could we be a church that calls out to him in power, in earnestness, believing for the miraculous before we end up in a bad place? That's the kind of church that God's looking for. A church that's walking in supernatural power that doesn't need persecution to force it, but will love him enough to do it beforehand. (laughs) It all started with prayer. It all started with prayer. 
Acts chapter 1, Herod's king. Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 12, Herod's king. The end of Acts 12, he's dead. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. The end of it, he's free. Don't stop in the middle of the story. Don't quit praying in the middle of the story. God's not done. He'll handle it. He's working out a bigger picture than you can understand. It's called history. It is his story. It is called history. And he will manipulate it. He will take it to where it needs to end up. You just do your part in it. Call out to God. Invite his prayer, his power. Invite his power through prayer in your life. And I want to end with this. Prayers still lead to escape. So I started out by saying, what if there were one key, one prime clue that if you figured out that one made all the other ones a lot easier? Here it is. Prayer. I wish it were sexier. I wish it were something that was like, whoa, light bulbs going off, whatever. That's my version of that, whatever. Right, I, w I wish it were something never heard before. But the fact is we're trying to find things that we don't know and we're not even practicing the things that we do know. Prayer. Prayer. Changed everything. Still works. It worked for your great-grandma. It worked for your grandma. And it still works today. Don't be so rocked to sleep by the prosperity of America that we lose the ability to cry out to God. It still works. Stand up with me around the room if you would. <coughs> I'm going to invite our prayer team to go ahead and make their way up front. We're, we're going to wrap up and, and close up. I mentioned this a minute ago. But there are some escape rooms that you cannot get out of by yourself. In fact, most of them are purposely designed to, you know, teach teamwork and things like that. And so you actually usually need other people to work together to be able to accomplish getting out of the escape room. Sometimes it's a key that they have to be turned together at the same time in different places. Or you got to pass something from a cell to another. And, and, and so you need other people. We were all born into sin. We were all born into eternal damnation from the perspective of born into, away from God, apart from God, in this room that we cannot escape by ourselves. Jesus comes to set us free. You will not escape by yourself, but he comes with the key. In fact, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 says it this way. It says that he stands at the door and knocks. Kind of like Peter. Knocking, knocking, knocking. He stands at the door of your escape room that you have yet to escape, knocking, waiting for you to invite him in so that he can be with you and you with him, but you have to open the door. You will not escape this without him. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? There's some of you in this room and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you need to surrender over to him this morning. You need to say, Pastor, I need to give my life completely to him. Some of you, maybe you're a follower from a distance and you've kind of liked God, but now it's time to truly surrender to him. Now it's time to make him Lord of your life, to be part of the kingdom of God, that he is the king and no one else. And God's calling you and you know God's calling you because he's knocking on the door of your heart right now. Say, let me in. I'll open the door so that you can escape, but let me in, let me in. If that's you in this room, I won't belabor the moment or make it big or embarrass you in some way, but I want to pray over you for just a second. If that's you, would you stick your hand up and wave it at me around the room? Amen. Amen. Come on, pray with me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. And from this day forward, I surrender my life completely to you. I make you Lord. You will be my Savior. You will be my King. I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on. Come on. I know we're a little bit late, but enjoy it while it lasts, because when we go to three services, we'll have to be a little shorter. Somebody's like, like, you should preach for three hours. Make me feel good. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't want to listen to myself for very long, but... Um, uh, but but uh, sorry, it's a little bit longer, but please don't leave unless you absolutely have to. Uh, we're going to sing one last worship song, and as we do, if you want special prayer for anything, I want to invite you out of your seats and to come on up front. If you just accepted Christ, do me a favor and text Jesus to 21777, um, and we'd love to start a communication with you about that, uh, as well as come up front, and we want to pray with you. If you feel trapped in a room, if you feel trapped in a marriage or a financial situation or a job or 
or whatever, have somebody agree with you. There is power in the agreement of prayer. And so as we sing this last song, if you'd like special prayer, we invite you up front. If you'd like to receive communion, it's available on my right and left under the screens. Uh, and we would love to receive communion with you uh, this morning. But if you're not, let's just worship the Lord for one last song before we dismiss. Pastor Jason. Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. Man, we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.